With the difference between the Old and the New Covenants, here's Pastor Ed Ray. The Old Testament Ten Commandments was written on tablets of stone. God says, I'm going to write it on your heart. What was external, outside of you, in the New Covenant is inside you, very personal, very real in the sense of God living in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he speaks to our hearts. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Real change in life must start from within, at the heart level. But while you may acknowledge that, perhaps you're wondering, how do you do that? We'll get some helpful and encouraging answers on today's Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. The answer to the problems within are given to us in the Bible. And Hebrews chapter 8 is one of those key places where we learn about them. In contrast to the Old Covenant that's merely external, the New Covenant promises are internal. Now that's not to say the Old Testament isn't meaningful. It is, as it foreshadows what's coming. To explain from Hebrews 8, picking up in verse 5, here's Pastor Ed. Who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he, God, said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. I don't want you to change anything. Do it just like the way I told you so that you will be duplicating, making a model of the one that's in heaven. Don't be adding a cafe. Uh, Don't be putting hot rod motors in the restroom or any of that stuff. Just do the tabernacle, right? Okay, so Moses was given very specific instructions what it should be made out of, how big it would, how tall it would be, and on and on. All that, so when you get to heaven, you can say, oh yeah, I know what that is. I read Exodus 25. It's very clear what it is. Exodus 25, 40 says, see that you make them after this pattern, which I've shown you on the mountain. Okay, so now the promises, verse 6, he has obtained a more excellent ministry. He, capital H, Jesus, inasmuch as he is also a mediator, an arbitrator, he's a daysman, he's an attorney, he's a, a lawyer of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Whole point, the new covenant is better, so much better. There's no, there really should be no temptation to go back to the old one, It is based upon his excellent ministry of what he has done. This is actually referring to the cross. Sum it up in an old story. Kind of a famous story about D.L. Moody. Some of you recognize the name. Evangelist right after the Civil War. Really one of the first evangelists to do a Billy Graham style sort of crusade where a lot of people would come forward and get saved. Very gifted man of God. There's still Moody Church in Chicago. Moody College is there, all started by this man. Well, he's on a train. He's going through Wyoming. In those days, they stopped 
in the 1870s at the border between Wyoming and Utah because only Mormon locomotive engineers could be at the helm when they went through the state. It was later changed, but that was true at that moment, and it fits the story. So the new engineer gets on, the other one gets off, and he starts trying to, he sends word back because he'd heard Moody was there. He wanted to meet him. So he invites him to come up onto the, the cabin of the steam locomotive, and he's going to show him around and what red-blooded American man wouldn't want to go see horsepower in action. So Moody goes up in front, and he uh, shows him around, and then he says, you have any questions? And Moody says, yeah, are you saved? Which is kind of the way D.L. Moody was, you know, start a conversation, he's going to bring up the Lord. And the man says, yeah, I'm, I'm saved by my works. And he says, no, it's not possible. It turned out this engineer was actually a Mormon bishop, and they had a long discussion, and they agreed to disagree about saved by faith, which Scripture says, of course, when Moody knew them all, and then saved by works. And they stopped, and as he was getting down, he said, you know, there's really not a whole lot of difference in our religions after all. It's really just in the spelling. And the engineer said, what do you mean spelling? What do you mean? And he said, you spell yours D-O, 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 do, do, do. I spell mine done, D-O-N-E. Jesus did it all on the cross for me. Now, that's a summary of the difference between the old covenant doing things and the new covenant of believing that Jesus has done it all. That's the good news. It is a better covenant because of that. Now, God is a covenant-making God, and we could go back and look at all the various covenants that he, you know, with Adam. How'd that work out? Well, they ate the fruit, you know. No, how'd that work out? He just got drunk and all kinds of problems. How about that one with David? Now his sons were all a disaster. And so all these covenants, including the Mosaic covenant, didn't work. There was a problem with them, which is where this is going. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, if there wasn't something wrong, then no place would have been sought for a second. There wouldn't be a reason for a second covenant. If the first one was working, then that would keep us from having to have a second one. Verse 8, because finding fault with them. Finding fault with who? Them, the children of God. It's not the laws that were wrong. It's that they couldn't obey the laws. They wouldn't obey the laws. They couldn't keep them. Nobody did. And that's important that you grasp that. No one is in heaven by the old covenant. Everyone from Old Testament times is in heaven gets in the same way you do, the same way I do. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. They didn't get to heaven by keeping the law. They got to heaven by believing God would make a way through the Messiah. We'll come back to that. Finding fault with them, the people, God said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Not here right yet when he said this. He said it to Jeremiah, 600 B.C. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, the word new in the Greek language, there's two forms of it. This one is kranos. The other form, nakas, is a word that means new, you got a new haircut. 
something that you do all the time. This word, kranos, means it's never existed before. Never in history has there been this covenant. And so this new covenant is coming, and God's going to make it. Remember, covenant means agreement, contract between two or more people and God. So here's this new covenant that's coming. Now, what's interesting about these next verses is that it's the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. And so what? The Holy Spirit is telling us this is really important. And also, it was given by a man who was not known for giving good news. Jeremiah was a prophet who was kind of grumpy. He didn't have much good to say about the people of Israel. He was constantly telling them the Babylonians are going to come and destroy the city, which they did. And he even told them in one sermon that all the people should just go surrender to the Babylonians when they came. Well, it Turns out he was telling the truth. It would have saved all their lives. But that didn't make him very popular with the leadership, and they threw him in the stocks, and they beat him, and then they finally threw him in a cistern full of mud up to his hips. And he was constantly telling them that they were going to be destroyed. But at one moment, Jeremiah 31, he says, he begins this prophecy, and it's the good news. It is a new covenant a new agreement with Israel and the house of Judah, verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with, not like the old covenant, the one that was do, 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 but this one, not like that one that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Okay, all of us were taken out of Pharaoh's kingdom. Now, you may not think of Pharaoh as Satan, but that's the Old Testament picture, that we were all prisoners to something, and God rescued us. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning, you know what I'm talking about, because you've never surrendered your life to God. Don't leave until we've talked about that. So, there's a picture here in the Jews being released from slavery in your life and in my life. And God says they didn't appreciate being set free. They just wanted to go back. Remember, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to have the onions and the watermelons and the cantaloupes and we're out here in the desert and it's hot and it's dry. We want to go back into slavery. Good thing none of us have ever thought that. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Israel means ruled by God. Remember, it was the name given to Jacob when he wrestled. You are of the house of Israel now. Not in the sense of the promises made for the land of Israel, but in the sense of you are a child of God now. We sing that. I will make with the house of Israel after those days, I will put my law in their mind and write them on their heart. And I will be their God and they will be my people. This is God's picture to us of the difference between the two. The Old Testament, the old Ten Commandments was written on tablets of stone. God says, I'm going to write it on your heart. Outlining the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, That's Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. 
We continue now in Hebrews chapter 8 with more on the difference between the old and the new and what a difference they make. From verse 10, there's Pastor Ed. What was external outside of you in the new covenant is inside you, very personal, very real in the sense of God living in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he speaks to our hearts, an internal thing. Ezekiel 36, the other prophet that predicted this about 600 years before it happened, quoted God saying, I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will write my law of love on your heart. So what's going on here? I was reading this week for a friend of mine that's looking at a potential transplant, a heart transplant. It's going over the history and reading about where we are in immunology and anti-rejection medications. And I went back and started with the first heart transplant. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember Christian Bernard. He was the South African surgeon who was the first to successfully put a human heart in a human being and have them live. And it was a woman, she first successful, she only lived 18 days, but it's 18 days longer than she would have lived because she really had to be resuscitated right away. But the second one that he did successfully was in a dentist, and Byland was the guy's name, and he actually lived almost two years after he got this transplant. But he did very good right from the beginning. Very positive guy. But he had a spiritual encounter with Jesus during this process. And after he was getting well, Barnard asked him if he wanted to see his old heart. He said, well, yeah, I would like to see it. So he wheeled him into his office in a wheelchair and he went in the back room and he brought out a, a jar that had his heart in it. He said, would you like to hold it? The guy said, yeah, I would. And so they gave him some gloves, latex gloves, you know, and he reached in and he took out his heart. And he's the first man to hold his heart and be alive to tell us about it. So he started to weep. He's really moved, of course, the emotional moment. And he said, so this is the thing that caused all the trouble. And Barnard said, yeah, that's it. He says, you take it back. I never want to see it again. Thank God. And that was the last time he saw his old heart. That's a picture of what's going on here. That when Jesus comes into your heart, he gives you a new heart. Embrace it. And never want that old one back. Never go looking for it anywhere else. That's the letter here. God has a new heart. If you haven't received it, today would be a good day. New covenant, verse 10, with Israel, put their laws in their mind, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 11, none of them, this is the interesting part of this new covenant, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother. You become a believer. This isn't saying we shouldn't sit and study the Bible and, and ask each other questions. What this is saying is, none should say, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Jesus Christ is in you, and he'll speak to you. Now, it's okay to go to a mature Christian friend and ask them, you know, this is what I'm thinking about, but you know already. If it's right, there's that little ring of truth. If it's wrong, your baloney meter pigs. The Holy Spirit tells you when it's wrong. That's what he's saying. You don't have to ask if it's okay to steal gas on the way home <laughs> or whatever else you're tempted to do. You know. 
Nobody has to give you a set of rules and regulations. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. Don't say that. Know the Lord because everyone will know me from the, the least into the greatest. So in their hearts, in their minds, everybody will know me, and it is a wonderful thing. Verse 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Ooh. I will be merciful. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Unrighteousness is anything that isn't godly, put in sin, put in misdeeds, put in iniquity, any of that. God in the new covenant, which would be today, right now, is merciful to you. He will always, hello, he will always forgive. All we must do is humble ourselves and come to him. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, to their mistakes, to their sins, to their iniquity, to their transgressions. And their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. I said something the other day about God has holy amnesia, and somebody was offended by that, which I do regularly to people. But they came up and said, what do you mean amnesia? God can remember. Yes, he can, but this verse says he chooses not to. It's not that his hands are tied, that he's not capable of remembering. He chooses not to ever remember any of my sins. And there's a couple of them back there. (laughs) Those of you that know me are going, dude. (laughs) The lawless deeds, I hope you're grasping this. If you're sitting here with some sin you think is unforgivable, it's not. Satan has been lying to you and telling you, you know, God, I'll never forgive you that one. You did that one before, remember? He will be merciful every time. Not occasionally, every time. That's not a license to go and do it all the time, but it is a way to keep yourself from getting trapped away from God and Satan say, he'll never take you back this time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God says, I will be merciful and I will remember your sins no more. We could spend a lot of time on that. Let's just go to verse 13. In that he says, a new covenant, Kranos is brand new, he has made the first obsolete. Obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Obsolete meaning it's no longer useful. Now the problem is obsolete is a choice to whether to keep doing it or not. Example, studying in Switzerland years ago, it was 1975 when we were there. Watchmaking was the main income for Swiss people. 90% of the watches in the world were made in Switzerland. They had Swiss movements. If they weren't assembled there, all the Swiss movements came from there. Only 10 years later, 1985, only 10% of the watches in the world were on Swiss movements. What happened? A Swiss engineer invented a quartz movement. Some of you have watches that still say that on the quartz. Tiny piece of mica that's sanded to a thickness that it vibrates at a known frequency. And it becomes the timekeeping mechanism instead of a fulcrum and weights that keeps an old watch going. In other words, the old system became obsolete, but the Swiss watchmakers refused to believe it. And they lost 80% of the market in 10 years and have never recovered from it because they were still hanging on to the old. That's a picture for you and I. 
I dare say a very large percentage of Christians in America are living under the old covenant by their own choice. That they're looking at the Ten Commandments and they're saying, you know, I can keep those. No, you can't. Liar. <laughs> you know, we know, the God's in us. He says, how you doing with that? Well, not so far, but, you know, I've only been trying to do it for 50 years. You know, I'm sure I'll get it eventually. No, you won't. Nobody is in heaven because of the old covenant. So choose the new. That's what God is saying. Embrace the new. The new is, will remain new forever, and the old will remain obsolete forever. So, obsolete stuff. We all have it. Think for a with me a minute. After the service, a guy came up last night and he pulled out a cell phone and it wasn't a flip phone, but it was the one right after that that you just plug in the stand, you know. He says, but it still works. Yeah, but it's, you know, G2 service and they're going to yank it here January 1st. But I love my old phone. Don't hang on to the old, let it go. So what do you have at your house? Think about it. Flip phone? I have a pager at my house when I work at the hospital, you know. Hey, that's useful today. How about cassette tapes? <laughs> How about a radio with tubes in it? When you turn it on, you have to wait for it to warm up because some of you younger people are going, what? What's he talking about? What's a tube? Film cameras. How about those? One ask for a show of hands. How about rotary phones? Anybody got any of those in the back of the closet? Hi-fives, floppy disks from your first computer? Well, I, I might need them later. They might work, you know. No, they're going to become museum pieces. Save them for that. Maybe you can give them to the museum. The Old Covenant is a shadow. It served a purpose, but now it's obsolete and it's old. And obsolescence is selective. You have to be careful about what you think is obsolete. Let me give you two examples. We'll close with this. The tennis great Arthur Ashe wrote this note shortly before his death to his daughter. Camera, have faith in God. Do not be tempted, whether by pleasures and material possessions by the claims of science and smart thinkers into believing that religion is obsolete, that the worship of God is somehow beneath you. Spiritual nourishment is as important as physical and intellectual nourishment. Do not beg God for favors. Instead, ask God for the wisdom to know what is right, what God wants done, and the will to do it. Know the Bible. Read the Psalms the Sermon on the Mount, and everything else in this timeless book. You will find consolation for your darkest hours. You will find inscribed there the meaning of life and the way you should live your life. You will grow into a deeper understanding of life's meanings. And Mr. Ash was right. Compare that with the French philosopher Voltaire. Voltaire was a very arrogant atheist and often said that within 25 years after his death, the Bible would be found only in museums. Well, he died. And 25 years later, his books were for sale for less than a penny apiece in Paris. And his house that he had died in was a storage facility bought by the Geneva Bible Society to house Bibles. Be careful what you think is obsolete. Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. 
We're studying Hebrews with Pastor Ed Ray. Now, if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. Now, you know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make this all possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's a book titled Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson. In this excellent book, Richardson shows how God has prepared the way for the gospel by setting eternity in the hearts of men and women throughout the ages. We'll send you this special offer with our thanks when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Now, even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us for the next Grow in Grace as our study of Hebrews continues with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now build with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 